is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Made list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors: Chris Allen and a- a- Adam Wilde. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm your host, Chris Allen of the Dynasty Owners Manual Podcast. This is episode 15, and we're here with Jordan McNamara of Fantasy Pros, co-host of the UTH Premium Podcast, and also author of the Analytics of Dynasty book, which you can get. And before we hop into it, Jordan, first, how are you doing this evening, and can you tell folks where they can get a copy of your book? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You can get the the analytics of dynasty at analytics of dynasty.com. I have some content up there. Um, there's also a pre-order tab, uh, right at the top of the page. Um, and a pre-order button on the right side. It's $25. Uh, if you get a pre, if you pre-order before September 1st, we'll do a one-on-one strategy session. I'll give you some insights that I found from the book, some, an- some of the advanced analytics that I've been doing. So that way you can use them in the 2018 season for trades and if you've got late startups, anything like that. And then the book will be released in January of 2019. So, but if you get your pre-order and now you get the strategy session, you get a cheaper price than you do afterwards. So. Oh, that's amazing, man. And just for, uh, my own edification, just real quick, because I've been writing like off and on for different websites for the past year or so. So just so I can uh-huh. get a feel for at least your process for putting the book together, how long did it take for you to get all of that together? Uh, so it's kind of a funny story. Um, I decided that like in 2017, I wanted to play like a lot more DFS. Like I was in the dynasty, like I've been playing dynasty for a while. I was like, I want to play more DFS. So I started playing maybe like five or six weeks of DFS and I realized that, like, I didn't have enough, like, probabilities and sort of background in the probabilities of players to feel comfortable with it. So I, I sort of put it to the side. I said, it's going to be like a January, February, March type project. So basically the entire month of January and, like, half the month of February, I spent just crunching numbers, like, just getting data together and just doing some analysis on hit rates and those sorts of things with the eye towards DFS. And then it's like, sort of, I kept doing it and I was like, wait, these same trends keep appearing like year after year. And I, so I, I imported some, uh, ADP data and like sort of started cross referencing just to see how much stuff would apply from DFS to dynasty. And I realized that there was a ton of stuff. So I didn't really know what I was going to do with it at first. And so I figured maybe I'll write some articles for UTH or, something. And so I just started writing just my thoughts and, um, I just started writing and creating like spreadsheets that are way too big and, you know, all sorts of things. And then, uh, by the time I finished writing, just like sort of getting my initial thoughts on, it was like 45 pages. And I was like, Whoa, I go, that's a lot more than I thought it was going to be. 45 pages, man. Without really even like, there was no editing. Like, I mean, it was a, it was a, it wasn't even probably legible to anyone other than me, but it was just sort of like what my thoughts were. 
And so I was like, I started talking to some people that I talked to on Twitter. I was like, what do you guys think about this? And uh, they were like, go for it. And so I just kept writing. Right now it's about 90 pages long. I'm just still doing some more work on it. Um, it's not done yet, but there's still some more. Like I'm trying to bust some narratives right now. It's like what I'm, that's really like what my aim is at this part of the, like in this part of my process. So yeah, that's sort of how the whole process went. It, I didn't set out to write a book and then I sort of realized that there was book content in sort of my findings. So I just kept writing and it just sort of turned into it. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah and, and that's sort yeah. of kind of the way that things happen. And I've, I, I wouldn't say that I've fallen into that, obviously, because I've never written a book before. But at least when mm-hmm. it comes to when you're processing data and then when you go from analyzing that data and you start writing stuff down, I mean, if you have enough good content, you will find out that, oh, wow, I could turn this into three or four articles or I've got 1,800 words down and I feel like there's still so much more to go. So I, I, I absolutely agree that when it comes to processing some of that data that is definitely something that can happen uh so turning it over real quick to my co-host adam so what's going on man how you doing tonight adam what's up guys yeah it seems like everything that great ever happens is because of supply and demand you you needed content for yourself to make yourself successful and now it's turning into a book that's awesome yeah and the funny part about like it's funny you say that because when i was sort of going through the process i was like there isn't really like a book like there's articles and like theories and stuff that are over article but you know over sort of stretches of articles and series of articles, but there's not really like a, a full sale dynasty manifesto out there. So, right. um, I could really find. So I figured to, to, you know, there wasn't a supply for it. So I said, eh, maybe there'll be a demand. So yeah, that's Absolutely. funny you should say that because that was Absolutely. sort of how it, it ultimately spurred me. That's awesome. So again, so we want to try and get into, well, as much of your process and as much of, uh, kind of the, your findings as possible. But of course we want folks to go ahead and check out your book as soon as they possibly can, but kind of getting into it as much as, as much as we can tonight. Uh, so when it comes into creating some of your evaluations and whatnot, can you give us kind of a, a sense for the, either the variables or metrics that you were most interested in or that you found to be at least the most fascinating when you're going through all of it? Yeah, so I guess there's really two big takeaways that I've come to, which is the first one is that strategy matters more than player that you take. So if you start out with a good strategy, all too often we talk about who do you like? Do you like this player or that player? What type of trade should I execute between these you know, six potential players? Things like that. Those are good conversations, but I don't think they move the needle a ton on your win rate. Really moving it is having a, a good strategic approach that looks at numbers, that looks at film, that is sort of all put together in a way that has been historically successful, that has a good future outlook. And so I'm a big fan of having a strategy in place, whether it's a startup strategy, whether it's a rookie draft strategy, whether it's the type of players that you like to target, having them knowing what the successful the types and the categories of players that are most successful and the prices that they're most successful at, and then drafting players that fit that strategy. So that's really like the big takeaway that I've had that I think the strategy more matters more than the individual player that you're taking. You want the player to reflect your strategy. The other thing that I've really found is that I think that the more that I look at this, like I'm surprised at how much we're wrong in dynasty. Like, and it's not at anyone in particular, but just by the nature of it, like we can have really good feelings about players, do a ton of work on players, and they bust. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Injuries, personality problems, competition, Just there's just stuff about players we don't know and that we can't project. And so if we sort of come to it with a uh, 
the idea that even if I'm really certain on someone, the, the odds of them hitting aren't, aren't 100%, you know, and, and make decisions with the idea that there's a good chance that you'll be wrong. I think that gives you a good, a good way to structure your, your teams and structure your strategy. So that way you're not getting over, you're not paying up huge for one player in a startup when they can't really get you all the way home to win a championship, those sorts of things. Um, and so that's, that's really the two big takeaways I found for this, the sort of overarching strategies. And you mentioned going into a draft with a strategy. Um, I find myself often going into draft with a, this very elaborate strategy and I want this type of player. You can go into it with a productive struggle strategy. You can go into a fading age. I often find that strategy gets busted very quickly. Are you kind of stuck in stone on your strategy when you go into a draft? Or if your strategy gets busted and A, B falls to you really late in the first, are you going to kind of flip-flop your strategy from maybe if you were going into it with productive struggle, are you now going to maybe draft a little older and maybe fade age a little for value? Or how are you going about implementing your strategy? That's a great question. I will do anything at the right price. So I'll trade anyone at any time for what I think is the right price. Like my house isn't for sale right now, but if someone strolls up to my front door and offers me four times what I paid for it, like <laughs> honey, pack up, we're moving. Yeah, you know? And so I, I take that. I like, I will trade anyone at any time. Um, I will draft anyone at the right price. Um, I think the price is key. Um, so like the, the AB thing, yeah, if he fell to me late in the first or somehow fell out of the first round of the startup and I was sitting there and he's the best player, like I would take him. Um, and then I think it does have to tinker your strategy a little bit. One of the things that I've really found is that the best place in all of Dynasty to get wide receiver is early in a startup draft. So your hit rates are higher than running backs. Your longevity is higher than running backs. For basically the first three, probably four rounds, that's true. And then after that, at almost every other part of the entire startup draft, the and rookie drafts, the the hit rates lower on receivers. They average less top twenty four seasons than running backs do. So I sort of come at it with the idea that I want to nail down receiver early. I will stray from that if circumstances warrant it. But I think now, like this year, it's the perfect year to do it because you can. I mean, you can nail down four top receivers in the top four rounds of your draft because everyone's going running back heavy. You can go zero RB. Like, this is the perfect year to go zero RB in, in a startup draft. And it's even better because you've got a good rookie class. So you can hit those rookie running backs in sort of rounds seven, eight, nine, and, and sort of backfill a, a pretty good roster. And those receivers can give you a good floor of long production. And then you can just keep pounding running back. I was in a draft with one of my co-hosts at UTH, Chad Parsons, and I was I kept using the phrase, let's just keep pounding running back. And by the time like we had picked like ten running backs in a row, he was like so sick of the phrase. But it's it's really true. Like if you if you're in the volume business at running back, like that's where you want to be. And I think one of the one of the things that I think has been sort of a narrative in in Dynasty that I've come to not agree with through this research is that being loaded up at wide receiver with a lot of wide receivers on your roster, I think it's a bad strategy because they're tough to project when to start and they don't outproduce running backs. So if you can be in the volume business at the running back position, sort of a roster construction by being top heavy at receiver and then sort of 
narrowly selected that receiver. That's like what I found has been the most successful analytics based startup strategy. You bring up a lot of good points that get me thinking. So I would go into a draft with this elaborate strategy that I was talking about and I would find that it was getting busted right away, as I mentioned. So what I started thinking of is maybe just a fluent strategy. So what I started doing is just drafting best player available during the draft, but at that time, they're not players to me. They're just stocks. And I'm putting asterisks next to players' names as to who I want to put maybe on the trade block, quote-unquote, maybe not actually on the trade block. But if I'm going for a productive struggle and A.B. falls really late, obviously he doesn't fit the productive struggle mold, I can draft A.B., continue drafting productive productive struggle and then move a b for some pieces and then you also mentioned this is a great time to draft wide receiver early i've been able to start some super flex drafts actually two with a b julio and aj so some people might say that's kind of gross and if you listen to our episode last week that's a little bit too much stock in age but you also have to think your julio and aj aren't that far off from Adams and Diggs so you could easily turn your Julio and AJ to Adams and Diggs Adams Tyreek Hill and maybe get some pieces added or you definitely bring up a lot of thought-provoking ideas for these startups looking at some of your research at what point in a player's career does college production stop being relevant I, I don't know if it's college production as much as it's as much as it's draft pedigree, I think that the higher drafted, like what you see, I think in, in sort of a, on both ends of the, the dynasty spectrum. So for young receivers, they tend to be highly drafted. Young running backs tend to be highly drafted. And sort of as you go in, you know, 21 year old running backs are really highly drafted. Um, I think that the average picks around like 75 via NFL draft. And if you go out a year, it's a full round later of average. So that's a big, I mean, that's a huge difference in terms of what you're looking at. At receiver in particular, like the guys that last a long time are the guys that have high pedigree. So, and that's probably a a combination of their college production. It's probably a combination of their athleticism, of just the fact that those guys are the guys that get an opportunity to be number one wide receivers. And once they do, they hang around. But I think it's a it's an interesting conversation because you look at guys like Cameron Meredith in particular, like he doesn't have pedigree, like he flashes for a little bit and then they don't have much allegiance to him. Like guys like that, when they get hurt or when they get when they have a down year, like the the runway is really short for them. Like they have to sort of hit it all cylinders and keep hitting until they age out. And then it's it's or if they have a bump in the road, it's tough for those guys to recover. Whereas if you get a guy like Corey Davis or Mike Williams, like these guys, maybe not as much as Laquan Treadwell, we'll see. I think there's more going on there than just his draft pedigree. But like those guys, they will get a long runway. And if you look like, and I, as receivers age, their production really doesn't drop as much as it is them falling out of the league, right? So the guys that continue to play into their early to mid thirties, in terms of like their weekly production, like how many starter weeks you get out of them. It's not really a significant drop. What is a drop is the amount of players that are there because they're the non-elite guys that are dropping out. So I don't know if it's college production that's, that stops mattering, but I think that pedigree, I think that pedigrees of players always matter. Receiver in particular, quarterback even incredibly so, um, and tight end very much. 
So I think when we try to assess our, both our rosters and also our roster construction, and we want to try and either bring in some new players, most folks are always talking about trade value. On your site, like you were talking about, you know, should I trade players A and B for players C and D? Like just the quintessential profile of somebody trying somebody trying to evaluate a trade. But how do you go ahead and validate a trade, or how would you go ahead and evaluate a trade if somebody were to offer it to you? Because the way it sounds, you're coming at it from a completely different angle when it comes to looking at the players in and of themselves. Because if you're a process for, or at least your approach for constructing your roster is different, I would also assume that your process for evaluating a trade would also be different. So can you walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, when I'm looking at a trade, like before I start thinking about players, I start thinking about what I'm trying to accomplish. So if I'm contending, my my goal really is is to add production to my team in a way that's meaningful. So how how do I go about doing that? You know, generally one of the things that I found is that you, to really move your, the needle on winning another game in in your dynasty season. So in a thirteen week dynasty season, to move your team up another win, you need to add seven points to your average weekly production. And it that matters a little bit on size of lineups and everything, but I just sort of took like a general, what I say would be like average sort of lineup construction. And that's sort of what I found. So like if I can move the needle, figure out ways to make trades um, that actually move that needle, like that's what I'm looking at. Um, I'm, I'm not really... Um, I guess on the on the flip side of that, if there's a player for me that I don't think will make my roster better or that I have multiple people of sort of the same level and I think one's overvalued, I'll move them off. Even if I'm even if I'm competitive, I'll move them off for a future pick because they're not really going to help me on a they're not really going to move my win rate likelihood. So that's one of the things that I really look at, and I think in in making trades. I, one of the things I've found in this process is that you need to like up the having huge upside is really important. Like how can I structure a trade that is very like gives me on paper, like it might not be huge upside, but there's a potential for a huge upside. So for instance, like, can I, can like, is a trade close? If it's close, like, can I get the other person to give me a future first and I'll give them a future second because the, the upside of that future first, like, that's an immense upside. If it's a top three pick, the odds of that player hitting are huge. Like the odds of that player really moving the needle for you are really high. Um, now, is it is it possible to picks one twelve? Sure, right. But having the upside of the pick, you know, like what's the worst that happens? It's a one pick upgrade, right? You trade the two o o the future two o one for the one twelve. Okay, you didn't really get that much, but the the upside of it is immense and can really move the needle. Think of like if you had done that two or three years ago and gotten the 101 this year and it's Saquon Barkley, that is a huge impact. So that's one of the ways that I really look at, try to make trades that have huge, that the the high end outcome of them is huge. That's interesting. You bring that up. I just got a trade done the other day that we thought was very close, but the owner asked me would I swap first with him. So initially I said, well, is it my first? And he said, yeah, it's your first. And I, I said, okay, is it your first? He's like, yep. I said, yeah, let's do it. So basically you're betting on yourself and 
seeking out that upside. And I loved that. I thought that was awesome of him. He thought he would finish better than me. I thought I have a chance of finishing better than him. Um, so I attacked the upside, just like you mentioned. It wasn't a second for a first. It was actually a first for a first. So I thought that was very cool. So in talking with the trades, how do you value a future pick without knowledge of where the player is going to get drafted or even what players are available due to their commitments or maybe even an injury in the coming season? Yeah, I mean, I think like you can look at the historical value of picks and basically my data goes back to from 2008 to 2017. And you can sort of look at the, the general value of picks. Um, typically, rookie running backs are, in my data, rookie running backs are more, are the most, at an even cost between the rookie pick and the startup pick are the most productive subset of players between the running backs and the receivers, basically breaking them down into rookies or, or veterans. The rookie running backs outpace the rest of them. So if you sort of go in that with that in mind, you know that you sort of always can have a bailout by, hey, if worse comes to worse, I'll be able to just take a rookie running back. Like sort of that's sort of like, hey, if in a break glass scenario, if, all, if everything goes poorly, like I'll just take a rookie running back who has some upside. Like that's the type of calculus that I would make. I guess what I would say is like, you, you don't know, you know, what the pick's going to turn out to be or whatever. But if you, like, if you get a future first, uh, the, basically the 112 in a standard league, uh, you know, non, no premiums or anything like that, the 112 basically corresponds to the 100th startup pick. So you're getting a top 100 asset. If you get into the top half of the draft, you're basically in the top five rounds of a startup draft. So those top, like if you get a pick in the top, if you can add another top five, you know, a top 60 asset, a, a top five round startup valuation to your team, like that's, that's a huge difference. Like that's a, that's a big difference. And so even though like we, we can't say for sure, like there's a ton of variance between what will happen between now and the 2019 class or the 2020 class. I like to look ahead to sort of have an idea, gauge like, who I think could be the potential players that are of value. So I, I sort of have a look ahead on the class, but I think historically the odds are there's the numbers will tell us that, that a first round pick will be basically a top hundred asset. Sure. And does this value change from year to year? I know you just said that, um, at very least, you can just draft a rookie running back. Well, next year, you're not looking at very many in the first round. You're actually looking at quite the opposite from this year. Does that matter to you? Or are you less likely to be targeting a 19 first because of this next year? I sort of look at it like I'm looking two years down the line. So, like, I have structured a trade. I was in a startup recently where I was like, hey, I was trying to trade down. I was like, will you give me a 19 first? The guy's like, no, 19 first are really, really valuable. I said, well, all right, well, how about you give me a – 19 second and for my cost, why don't you just give me a 2020 first? I mean, it's two years from now. Like, you know, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. So like the upside of that 2020 first, like that's, that's immense. Like that, if that is a, and it, what I project to be a really good running back class, like that is a, a massively upside pick. Like that's what I'm t- sort of talking about, like a huge upside sort of trade for me. Um, I didn't give up a ton in my movement in that trade. So yeah, and so and I like to be in the volume business of picks because historically they're pretty good and it gives me a lot of flexibility during the draft. So I think if you can sort of do both of those things, it, it's a good – whenever you're trading, that's the type of process that I like to go through in terms of acquiring picks. 
Yeah, I agree. I try to acquire as many picks as possible in season, um, playing off of high weeks or high stretches mm-hmm. of weeks for players that I don't really evaluate to be as good as they're scoring. But I often don't end up making those picks by the year. I usually end up getting too uh, impatient and selling off those picks. So mm-hmm. we're going to take a break right now, and we're going to talk about our buddy Addison Hayes for a second. He's just absolutely killing it on ffstatistics.com. I mean, I use it for everything. So every week we do FF Statistics trivia. I'm going to tell you about myself as an NFL player, and you're going to tell me which player I am. I have a feeling I'm going to disappoint myself this week, and you guys might actually guess it, but we're going to find out. So last year I finished above (laughs) average from the rest of the running back ones in the league eight times. I finished the season as running back five. Who am I? I believe this is standard and PPR. Maybe don't hold me to it. Okay, I was Pretty just about sure. to ask if there was a... Yep, eight times he finished better than the average RB1. And he finished the season as RB5. Anybody give up? What about you, Jordan? My recall's terrible this evening. I don't know. Eight times better than the average RB1. He finished the season as RB5. It is Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon. I love me some Melvin Gordon, man. But uh, before we get back into it, Chris, you have an announcement for us. Yeah, absolutely. First announcement is that we've been picked up. This uh, Dynasty Orders Manual podcast has now been sponsored by the great uh, 4 for 4 fantasy site that I personally write for, but I'm hoping everybody uses their tools. But with that being said, uh, since we are going to be one sponsored, we'd also like to give back to you guys. So in doing so, what we're looking at doing is getting together some T-shirts so that we can get out to, to the folks. We're working with our buddy Jake Anderson at NFL Draft Talker to get together uh, a nice graphic for us so that we can get printed. So look for us on Twitter posting about the about the shirts and whatnot in the next coming weeks. So we're really excited to kind of you know, boost the podcast and bring some more uh, hashtag content to you guys along with some some merchandise. So we're really excited about it. So getting back into the conversation, I know Jordan, you had discussed at least the the notion of draft pedigree beforehand and how much it matters to you in terms of your player evaluation. But does draft pedigree, does the level of importance or does the priority change across positions? It's not the same across positions. A little, it's a little bit different. Um, at quarterback, like if you're playing super flex leagues, like guys like Kyle Aletta and these late guys. Um, just don't like you're better off taking Blaine Gabbert in terms of like like the the uh, guys that hang around and sort of give you production sort of for a long period of time are your high end your early quarterbacks like the 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 first round quarterbacks have a, a really long runway and even if they don't hit like they're the ones that hang around EJ Manuel Blaine Gabbert like those types. Um, trying to get the next Dak Prescott, like, yeah, it's nice when it hits, but the, the hit rate on that is just so low. Um, you know, there's basically been, you know, there's basically been two quarterbacks in the last, since 2008 that have hit from, um, outside the, basically outside of day two. So rounds four, five, and six. It's just re- rounds four, five, six, and seven. It's just really low. So trying to chase those guys is, is a, is kind of a fool's errand. Um, the other thing that I found really is that like first round tight ends. So like Eric Ebron right now, like the, those guys hang around. Um, and I think it's probably a combination of like at 
elite athleticism, but like, look at Ben Watson, like those guys hang around forever. Mm-hmm. And so if you get like, even if their start isn't great to their career, like they will still stick around and sort of be there. Um, that's a big, and the hit rate at, at, on day three of tight ends is, is abysmal. So hmm. I would rather like, if you sort of avoid those two areas of drafting people, like that's a, that's pretty good process. And like, that's one of the reasons why I like Hayden Hurst. Like I'm not a huge believer in him, but sort of history will tell us that he's going to, he'll get an opportunity. Um, day three wide receivers by and large, again, I wouldn't be on them. Um, if I'm going to take someone on day three, it's going to be a running back. And I think that that's really where, you know, I like to be narrow at receiver generally. Like uh, the, there's a big drop off between basically the hit rate for, Round two wide receivers is 30%, and then round the drop is to 15% from round three. So that's a that's a big, steep drop, and then it falls off the table after that. It's really minimal outside of the third round. So day three wide receivers are, are really tough to hit from. So I, I like to sort of think of those things as I'm making pl- selections on players, sort of like talking about like what the strategy is and how it informs my process. Like that, like having those things in mind when you're trying to structure trades or when you're trying to figure out who to draft, like, keep those hit rates in mind and like the third and fourth rounds of your rookie drafts should be running backs or tight ends that are falling or even like Josh Allen. Like I'm not a Josh Allen fan by any means, but like the hit rate on, on first round quarterbacks is 30% as starters over the past 10 years. And there's been some solid busts in there. Actually, excuse me, it's 52%. So there's a big hit rate. There's also a big miss rate, but if you're getting that at like four ten in a, in a rookie draft, like, yeah, like absolutely. Like, even if he's a bad round one quarterback, he's still got, you know, two or three times the potential, two or three times the likelihood that the rest of those guys at those positions will have in that range. Right. And I was just going to, I was going to ask about uh, Josh Allen and we were just kind of talking about him off air before the show started. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I just dropped a piece on, uh, two QBs, uh, when they're 32 for 32 series and, I'm struggling to see how all of this is going to come together for Buffalo, but like you just said, with his with his draft capital, I'm just having a hard time seeing how he's not going to wind up on the field at some point, unfortunately. Uh, but regardless, it does seem like his value, at least presented, I mean, does make some sense for folks to go ahead and pick him up. Uh, also, the same thing for, like you just mentioned earlier, for Hayden Hurst. I'm not sure, again, how that situation is going to unfold with also having Mark Andrews on the team, but it does seem to make sense that the draft capital used in order to acquire him and also his pedigree, it does make some sense that you, know, you should value him a little bit more. So in other situations that I know a lot of folks are now having these sort of uh, conundrums when it comes to the running back position, we've got two key situations that folks are looking at for at least the 2018 season. We've got the running back situation in Seattle, and we've also got the running back situation in Denver. So based off of draft pedigree for both Rashad Penny and Royce Freeman, can you help us tell a story as to how you see their respective seasons kind of shaking out from that aspect? So nine of the 20 running backs drafted in the first round since 2008 hit for top 24 seasons in round one. Like, or in year one. Like, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. 90%, of, 90% of those guys have hit uh, for a top 24 season. The two misses, David Wilson and Donald Brown. David Wilson with the injury and Donald Brown just was a bust. But by and large, like, you will get a starter season out of those guys. 
Um, for round for round three running backs like Royce Freeman is, uh, six of twenty five have hit in year one. Um, their hit rate has been fifty six percent have hit for at least one starter season. Like if I had to pick between the two, I'm a big fan of Royce Freeman. Um, I I think that history will tell us that Penny's probably the better odds, um, just from a historical perspective. But you can sort of like the history and all the analytics matter to a degree. But I think also having you know filling it in with what we know about the players and, and that is also important. So. I'm a bigger fan of Royce Freeman. Royce Freeman would be my 104, and I would pass on Penny over Royce Freeman. But I do that sort of no, you know, there's more to it than just like I like Royce Freeman a lot, and I think some of the other metrics outside of just draft pedigree really point to him being a successful profile in terms of how much of a well-rounded running back, receiving back, and athlete he is. It points to him being a really high floor player. You know, the people in his sort of stratosphere hit for three seasons. So when you sort of think about that, I like him more than Penny just from all of those things combined. But the, from a, a draft pedigree perspective, Penny's the better bet. So I want to go back and take a step back for just a second and talk a little bit more about Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews. So pretty much anybody that was doing any sort of evaluation this offseason, they actually had Mark Andrews pretty high. I mean, some people had him tight in too, even before Dallas, uh, Dallas Goddard went to the Eagles and then Gusecki got a nice landing spot. You might have had Mark Andrews at one. So he goes in the fourth round. Hayden Hurst goes in the first. And what you've seen on Hayden Hurst, he's extremely talented, but he's older, uh, not nearly the college production. And the only thing I can really point to is maybe his ability in the blocking game um, or perhaps more well-rounded less of a receiver than Mark Andrews. So how does that work out for you from an analytics perspective? When you look at these two players on film and Mark Andrews, to me, is significantly better. Is this a situation where maybe you still want Mark Andrews? Um, Maybe he's the receiving upside and Hayden Hurst ends up being just the NFL player that doesn't translate to fantasy. Could that be the case here? I think generally, I mean, tight end drafted in the first round hit. Basically, there's been eight drafted since 2008. Right now, it only shows it's 50%. That's because David Joku and O.J. Howard are haven't hit in their first year. But So that number is probably going to go up. I expect them both to hit as top 12 tight ends at some point in their career. So that's a really high level of production and what you'll get from them. Andrews is lower. So I, I expect that Hayden Hurst will have fantasy relevance. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, the relevance to finish as a top three tight end. But yeah, I expect him to have relevance. And especially if you're in like a two tight end league, like a guy with a, like a long stable floor, like you would project him to have over his rookie contract. Like he's not going to get caught. Like he'll be involved. Like he's going to get opportunities. Like that's a, that's a good historic bet, especially at his cost. Mark Andrews. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Mark Andrews' tape. And I'm not solely like a numbers guy. Like I, I look at the tape. I watch Mark Andrews. Like I love Mark Andrews at Oklahoma. 26% of round three tight ends. He's a round three pick at 86 overall. 26% of them hit. I think it speaks to me. Tell me that Mark Andrews must not have been their best player on their board by like 50 picks to make that pick that they did. Like it just strikes me as like they had like a late, like a late round one or early round two grade on him. 
and they just took the best player on their board because that's what they do. Like that just totally strikes me what it is. Um, I think that he's got the most receiving upside out of the two of them. And I, I like him more than Hurst. But again, I think Hurst is the cheaper one of the two. And so I like one of the strategies that I've found is it's a good historic bet. Like in round three of a rookie draft, like just every year, you're either taking a quarterback or a tight end. And the, the tight ends that fall to that range are usually solid day two prospects. The quarterbacks in that range are usually you can usually get a round one quarterback in that range. I um, mean, if you sort of do that and if you can alternate years and have started, you know, with a light tight end, we were talking before about how Charles Clay is a good bet, like early, you know, if you're just trying to plug in a hole, if you sort of backfill that with Mark Andrews and then, you know, next year you do it again and just like the hit rate on that is, is pretty good in that range of the draft. Like you can sort of backfill that. So that's the type of approach that I get. So I tend to be on guys like Hayden Hurst, and Josh Allen, because that sort of is what my process is. I believe I took Hayden Hurst at something like 208, and then Mark Andrews went two picks later, and that kind of hurt, but that was just based on draft pedigree as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I definitely believe that Mark Andrews is the significantly better player. Um, mm-hmm. So getting into analytics of dynasty.com, you've written a piece on Kalen Balaj, someone who I believe if you could find a way to get the ball into his hands – um, he can do some excellent, excellent things on the field. Can you give us an overview of that piece you wrote? Yeah, so Kalen Balazs is like the – I say that he's the closest thing to David Johnson since David Johnson came out. He's a he's a freak athlete. He's 228 pounds, and he's a good pass catcher. Like he leaves some to be desired in the running game. I'll grant that to you. I don't know if you watch much Kalen Balazs at Arizona State, but it struck me like it struck me the way that Tennessee misused Alvin Kamara. And what happened when Tennessee misused Alvin Kamara, like he goes to a really good landing spot where they know how to use players and he becomes very productive and no the Tennessee coach gets fired. Right? Kalen Balazs comes out was just I don't know what they were doing with Demario Richard running him into just plotting him into the back of the line of scrimmage. Um, they just didn't have a way to get – and if you watch their offense, I mean, it was it was brutal to watch. I mean, they, they had no flow to their offense. They never got Balazs involved in, in good ways. And so I think he was misused. Like, I think there's still meat on the bone. Like, I think you can't teach the things that he can do. And we know that that profile is, is really productive. If you look at running backs drafted, and I think that the market matters. Like, I'm not a slave to ADP in the sense that, like, I won't just, oh, this person's the highest in ADP, I'll take him. But I think the market will tell you a lot of things about sort of where, what type of players are there. So keeping that in mind is sort of a historical basis on players. Like, if you look at two running backs that weighed more than 215 pounds, and that were drafted in round two of rookie drafts, right? Just those two things. Since 03, there's 10 of them. Terrence West, Jeremy Hill, Zach Stacy, Christian Michael, Ajayi, Jordan Howard, David Johnson, David Cobb, Andre Williams, and Deonta Foreman. If you take out the two dot athletes, who were David Cobb and Andre Williams, basically you're left with six guys who hit his top 12, or hit his top 24 running backs for a season. They produced a starter season. Christine Michael, who you could get a first-round pick for it at multiple phases in his career, even though he didn't produce a top 24 season. And you got a rookie in Deonta Foreman. The guys in that area hit, and they 
they hit generally because they're they're day two or early day three picks and they have some opportunity. And like I, I look at and they hit high too. Like Jeremy Hill was like a third round startup pick for, for a period of time. David Johnson won people leagues. Like you can get you can get running backs in that range. And so if you sort of look at the type of bets that you want to make on players, like that's the type of like those are the type of strategic and structural things that you'll get in my book. Um, and that you'll sort of know the general types of players to pick. And he reflects a really productive strategy. And that's why I really, I like him. Like he's an auto pick for me in the second round. Is there a chance that he fails? Yes. But is the history will tell us that his, his likelihood of succeeding is actually probably better than we give him credit for. Ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to take a quick break from our discussion with Jordan to give you guys a quick update and an announcement on the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast. We've been picked up by the great 444 website, and you now have the opportunity to get 25% off of your subscription to 444 when you sign up. Use the promo code DYNASTYOM to receive 25% off. That's Dynasty, D-Y-N-A-S-T-Y-O-M, in the promo code area in order to get 25% off. And you guys already know about the website. Website. They have the most accurate rankings since 2012 to provide actionable content. Subscribers can look forward to custom rankings, cheat sheets, top 200 based on their league settings, and 444 also has a draft analyzer that will help you through the draft season along with a league syncing app to import your roster. And also, if you're into DFS, 444 also offers a special plan with a lineup generator that includes data-driven content, so be sure to use our promo code and get an edge on all of your league mates. Now back to our discussion with Jordan. Now that's interesting because now if I'm looking at it, the at least what I got from the piece you were looking at, the article seemed to be more or less the the intersection of the the player, his athletic talents, and also the hit rate surrounding his particular archetype. But if you're looking at, but if folks, if I were to look at it right now, or other dynasty owners looking at it now, they're looking at his current situation. I mean, they're looking at uh, Kenyon Drake sitting in front of him, probably, and then also the inconvenient truth in Frank Gore. How do you factor that in when it comes to evaluating a player like Balage in his current situation? Well, I think cost is key. And so you're looking at Balage in an area where you have basically day two receivers who hit, you know, 20% of the time. And you're looking at other running backs in the area who, I mean, Naheem Hines, I guess, is in that conversation. I don't know. When I look at Balage, like, I think the upside on Balage is a running back one. Like he's a guy that could finish as a top 12 running back. He could, he has the type of profile that could finish as a top six running back in a year. It's unlikely that that happens, but that upside's there. And we talked earlier about taking bets that can win you leagues, like that can, that can truly change the odds of your outcome. Like Naheem Hines isn't really ever going to, like he's a fine player, but he's never really going to move I think the needle all that much on you winning, like if Kalen Balazs hits, he will. And so those are the type of decisions that I want to make because, and if you think about it, like our aim in dynasty is to finish as a top, like you want to win, right? So if you're in a, if you're in a 12 team league, you got to finish one out of 12. How do you do that? That's a top eight outcome, like a top 8% outcome. And to do that, like you have to take risk. Like you have to be willing to, to take upside smart. Don't just take willy nilly bets, but take, uh, like take the the bet that can really change your team. Um, and if you look like a guy like Kalen Balazs, like the guys in that, like in that piece that I mentioned, 
basically six out of the eight that weren't dog athletes have hit for top 24 seasons. And, and one of them hasn't gotten a chance to do it yet. It basically leaves out Christine Michael, who you could have gotten a King's ransom for it. Like that's a, like all of them have returned positive value on that pick. So it's might be a slow start, but he can use some coaching and it's not like they have had like this, this devotion to running backs that have produced, like they just shipped off JHI in the middle of the season. Like after he had a good season the year before, you know, so in running backs, a position that you can be a backup and then become a starter because of injury or because of, of poor performance by the starter. I'm not, I don't think Kenyon Drake sort of dug in forever and Frank Gore picking Frank Gore's backup as, as sort of the heir apparent is a fool's errand because he'll probably play until he's like 55 at the rate he's going. Right. Um, but, you know, at some point, father time catches up to us all, unfortunately. So I just look at the profile and at the cost, it's it's really, really attractive. All right, Jordan. So you mentioned in the table of content something that just popped out to me. So I see value of a buy. Could you elaborate and maybe even provide an example of what the value of a buy is? So one of the things I look at, how do you really move the needle on your teams? Well, like I said before, if you can improve your team by seven, you know, seven points, seven weekly points on average, you're going to increase your value by, you're going to increase, increase your likelihood, uh, by basically one win a season. Um, if, if you can sort of structure your team to get a buy, to be aggressive and get a buy, like that, that massively changes your outcome of your likelihood of winning your league. And let's just assume, like, let's just assume that you're a 60% favorite to win any game in the playoffs. I think that's probably high, but let's just assume that that's what it is. If you're playing three games, right, if you don't have a buy and somehow you're favored and you're basically, you're likelihood of winning each game in the playoffs is 60%, your odds of winning the championship are 21%. Like, so you're the favorite in three games in the playoffs and your likelihood of winning all three of those games is 21%. 22% if we're rounding up. If you only have to play two games, it's 36%. And so that's a, like, that's a huge, like, that is a massive difference in terms of, like, things that you can structurally do. So knowing that, sort of when you're putting your team together, obviously you're trying to make picks like, like Kalen Balage can move the needle for you. Um, when you're making trades, I, I don't think you should approach trading for playoff help as a trade deadline type deal, right? I don't think you should go too early in terms of trading for help on your team. I don't like to make bets really before I see a couple of weeks into the season, you know, just to make sure that my team's actually producing in a way that it is. But if I think that I'm like a contender, um, I've started off well, like I've got my pieces in place. I project myself coming in as a contender before the season and I'm, I'm living up to that. Like let's make a move and if we're going to need to make a trade, let's make a trade early. So that way we can use that player to, to help us get a buy. Because if they're not going to be a huge, like if they're not a massive upgrade to your, your lineup, they're not really going to help you really boost your odds. If you're only playing them for three or four games, because you traded for them at the deadline. But if you're playing for them eight games in the regular season and they can help you win another game or two, and that gets you a buy, like that really moves the needle on your likelihood to win. So sort of that, I think that's like the most significant thing you can do is try and get a buy. 
And if you're, if you're thinking, making your decisions about how you finish in the top two of your league, if six teams are going to the playoffs and you got two buys, like try and, try and make decisions that make you a top, a top 17% team in that league. Like that's the type of decisions that you need to make. And I think that sort of that should structure how you make your trades too. So taking everything into account of what we've discussed this evening, so we're looking at value of a buy, how you structure trades, how you value trades. I mean, everything that we've looked at. So more or less, uh, you know, the majority of your your methodology. Can you give us at least an example of a player that you're trying to buy right now, other than Kalen Balaj, <laughs> and also a player that you're trying to sell as well? Yeah, I mean, I guess a player that I'm trying to buy right now, like, I don't know, is, is Julio's price going to go down? Right? I mean, it, he hasn't, he's not showing up to camp, right? He's got a lead upside. He's on what I, I guess I would consider, uh, a, a down season because he didn't have many touchdowns, but here's a guy that can really move the needle for you. That's probably a, that's probably an outlier outcome last year, but that's a guy that can, you know, if he produces what he, his touchdown expectation would be based off of his targets. Like that's a big, that's a big possible outcome. Um, making a trade like that for DeAndre Hopkins last year would have done wonders because he was in sort of a similar thing. He had all these targets and it just wasn't efficient because of a number of things. And he regressed to his mean well above it um, and, you know, really made changes. So that's a type of like player that I would look at. Um, I like to like, I like to make, I like to have a lot of running backs on my team because I think that if you if you have a lot of running backs, especially if it's only a start one quarterback league, you can you can sort of really load up on running backs because you don't have to have depth that at quarterback. And taking, you know, if you've got a 25-man team, taking 11, 12 backs and, and making them, even if five or six of them are backup running backs, like there's a good shot that one or two of them will hit based on the historical injury rate of starters that they will hit, they will give you weeks to start them and be clear-cut starters for you. Like, those are the type of players that I'm looking at. So in particular, like James Conner, like I had him a ton in startup, a ton in rookie drafts last year. I'm holding on to him right now. Um, if I can, I think probably adding him is too tough right now, but like he's a player that I've, I really am invested in from my sort of strategic uh, point of view. And as well, like Peyton Barber, like Peyton Barber is, you know, I'm not a big Ronald Jones fan. I don't think Ronald Jones metrics point to him being that successful player. And you look at a guy like Peyton Barber who can step in and give you, you know, top 18 production in a week. Like if, if Jones is out or if you know Barber's going to be the starter, like he's the type of player that can be a plug and play guy. And you sort of, you will know that going in. It's an easy start. So those are some of the players that I'm doing. Um, I don't make a ton of trades just to shop for old veterans. Um, but if you can get a discounted one, uh, that's the type of trade that I'm in. Also, from like a historical perspective, like a guy like Mike Williams or even Josh Doxson, like the the analytics would tell you that they are that their odds are pretty good of hitting, even though they haven't done it yet. And I think the market soured on them. So if you can just play the patience game, play the long game on people, and like they have the type of profile that that can hit and hit well for an extended period of time. All right, so wrapping up for this evening, uh, Jordan, again, we thank you for your time. And before we get you out of here, i like to ask the guests uh, to give at least both first-time owners and also some savvy owners, uh, would you give them any, I guess, parting advice before we get you out of here? Yeah, I guess my parting advice would be have a strategy before 
before you go in, whether it's a draft, think about what you want to do and how that your strategy might be different than mine. But think about how your strategy, what your overall strategy is and how the players that you're going to like, what players are going to reflect that strategy. And if you do that, I think you're, you're, you're better off. You're more focused. You're sort of more narrowly thinking about how to go about accomplishing your goals. And there's a lot of noise out there. So if I can be sort of very narrowly thinking about my strategy and how I'm going to get players to fit it, it'll sort of cut down on a little bit of the cluster. And that's one of the, the key things that I try and do in my process. All right. So again, uh, Jordan, again, we thank you for coming out. I would assume that everybody is following him on Twitter, but if not, where can they find you at? Yeah, you can find me at McNamara Dynasty on Twitter, and you can find me on the premium podcast side of UTHDynasty.com, and also go to my website, analyticsofdynasty.com. There's um, some articles there. You mentioned the Bellage article. There's a, a couple of tributes to Rob Gronkowski and Aaron or Arian Foster as well. You can pre-order the book, $25 before September 1st, and you get a one-on-one strategy session. I've got some of the numbers we talked about. i got a bunch more that we can talk about sort of in a one-on-one setting, so it'll give you an edge up on your leagues. Absolutely. So I'm hoping folks will go ahead and take advantage of that before the start of the 2018 season. And without anything else going on this evening, Adam, what else we got for the folks tonight? Yeah, I just want to use our platform real quick to talk about how awesome Julio is because uh, <laughs> Jordan brought it up. So for whoever's still listening, I try to say all the time that players like Julio, players like AJ Green and AB who have excelled over a period of time and are consistent thousand yard receivers, they don't exactly age the same. And we're watching that happen with Larry Fitzgerald. And those are all three examples of the same caliber player of Larry Fitzgerald. The fact that Julio is seeking a contract extension right now is a plus for me an arrow pointing up for me. But to a lot of people, this might be the straw that broke the camel's back last year. Everyone thinks he had a down season because the touchdowns were down. They will ascend back to the mean this year. He's due for positive touchdown regression, but players said, okay, it's Julio. I'll hang on. Well, now you have him in the news again, another quote unquote negative and owners might be like, you know what? He was down on touchdowns last year looking for a contract extension, don't know if he's going to play. Let me just sell Julio. Well, that's when I'm buying Julio because it seems to me that the talks between the team and Julio are very positive. And um, him looking to get a deal done going into 30-year-old season is a plus for me. It means he's not even considering retirement. Once a player considers retirement, a la Ben Roethlisberger, it typically ends up being an arrow pointing down from there. But Back to our parting statements. We really appreciate you guys listening. The viewers also um, will be on YouTube Live every week. You can subscribe at Dynasty Pregame. You can also follow us at Dynasty Manual. Follow me at DHH underscore Adam. Please go ahead and leave a rate, a review. Subscribe on YouTube, like I said, and I really appreciate you guys listening. Can't wait to get some T-shirts out there. Yeah, that'll be really fun. I'm, I'm excited to see what Jake comes up uh, comes up for us, and I'm really excited to see everybody, uh, you know, kind of sporting their t-shirts and stuff on Twitter. That'll be awesome to see. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. With that, uh, so with that, um, I'm Chris Allen. I'm your host, and you can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FF or FFWX. Yeah, that's my handle. So again, <laughs> we hope to see you guys next week, and uh, thanks for tuning in. 101 pick when it hits you feel no pain praying for the fantasy championship hit the books kid read this pamphlet called the dynasty owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic owner's manual it's automatic
dynasty. It, it's automatic.